All right, we're going to be picking up tonight where we left off last week, and we are studying the Baptist Catechism. And again, don't let that word scare you. It's simply a word um, that means to instruct or to teach, um, and in particular, to teach what the doctrine of God's Word is. And so there is a pattern of doctrine in the Bible. There was a pattern of teachings that Paul and Timothy and the apostles laid down uh, when the, the first church came together in Acts chapter 2, it said they were devoted to the apostles' teachings. And so there were specific teachings that they laid down that the church devoted themselves to. And so one of the things that the early church used to do, and these catechisms go way back, but the early church used to basically make their members memorize these things so that when a member come into the church... They knew what the Bible taught about particular doctrines, and especially the ones that are, are foundational, foundational to our salvation. And so one of the first things that we read about, or the first question that we looked at is, who is the first and best of beings? Who is the first and the best of, being, of all beings? God is the first, and God is the best of all beings. Now, why does that matter? Why do we need to know that? Why do your children need to know that? That's exactly right. And don't forget this. The root of our issue is that uh, the root of our sin is that I am the first and the best of all beings. And that is the way that I live my life if I do not acknowledge this first question, if you do not acknowledge and believe that God is the first and the best of all beings, you will live your life with you being the first and the best of all beings. Or maybe your children will be the first and the best of all beings. Or maybe your spouse will be the first and the best of all beings. I've seen people worship so many different things. But whatever you worship, Whatever your life revolves around, that is who the first and the best of all beings is to you. Yes, sir. Yo, Kevin, you, you asked a question about why our kids need to know why God is the first and the best. You know, especially today, you look at the role models these kids look at. Mm-hmm. You know, and then that only feeds the self-desire. Mm-hmm. You know, when you, you start looking at these worldly role models that they have, and that... that that's right. Yeah, LeBron James is not the first and the best of all beings. Beyonce is not the first and best of all beings. Lady Gaga, that great theologian of our time, is not the first and best of all beings. Um, that's exactly right. You're exactly right. And again, I'm not anti-Kanye. The fact of the matter is, um, that's exactly right. If God, if God can save me, he can save Kanye. <laughs> but these kids right now, they're they're not looking at what he's looking at. Right. And and you're right. There are going to be people that are looking at him and following him because they <clears throat> worship and adore him. And so again, we have to be careful that we understand God is the first and the best of all beings. And if we understand that, it puts our worship in our service and our life in the right direction, in the right place. Question number two. What is the chief end of man? Yeah. 
And I'm not going to spend a lot of time on these because we addressed them last week. I just want to go over them so that they stick in your mind. Glorify God. That's exactly right. And what does it mean to glorify? What is God's glory? What is that? Reflect God. Reflect Okay, that's right. Anybody else? What is God's glory? Somebody define God's glory for me. All of His creation, how it reflects God through His creation. Uh, that's exactly right. Or another way to put it, the same exact thing, but another way to put it is all of His holiness on display. Remember, God is an invisible spirit, right? And yet He creates to put on display who He is, what He is like. And so everything that is created, when David looked at the heavens, he said, um, he said, the heavens declare the glory of God. In other words, when I look at the moon and the stars, the work of your fingers is what he said. I'll, all I can think of is what is man that you are mindful of him. That's what David said. He said, when I look at the moon and the stars... I see the greatness of God, the power of God, the majesty of God, who God is. And all I can think of is, who am I? What is the Son of Man that you are mindful of Him? And so the glory of God is anything that displays any of God's many perfections. So if you look at your child and you see greatness and you see joy, and you see love, do you know what you're seeing? You're seeing God's glory. You may not proclaim it as that. You may not recognize it as that. But that is what you're seeing. Or when you are in love as a teenager. Y'all know them days. I mean just in head over heels in love. And that joy. Don't shake your head like you don't know what I'm talking about, Chastity Gwen. You, you was there, baby. You was there. Was. That's right. She's, she's still there. But, <laughs> but, but any joy that you... The Bible says that every good gift comes from the Father above. Literally, every good that you have ever experienced, every majesty that you have ever seen, every power that you have ever felt, Everything in this creation that, that displays God is the glory of God. No matter what it feels like, no matter what it is, no matter how you see it, you may not recognize it as the glory of God because you take God's glory and you selfishly apply it so that all you do with it is just enjoy it. And now did God create it for us to enjoy? Absolutely He did. The chief end of man, read the, read the answer. What is the chief end of man? To glorify God and what? And don't forget that second part. This is not just that we are some robots that He made and He's saying, go and serve me. And that's just all that you get to do. No. He said, glorify me and enjoy me forever. In other words, there is an enjoyment in, in the center of God's glory that, that we get to share in all of this goodness and all of these gifts and all of the, the good things that are creation. But the problem is, we worship and serve... Go with me to Romans chapter 1. Let's look at the problem. And you might as well stay in Romans chapter 1. That's probably where we're going to land tonight. I think. 
Honestly, I had no idea. So I've got a hundred different ways to go. I have no clue which way, but I think this is where we're going to land. Romans chapter 1, look at verse um, 25. Paul is laying out the issue of our sin, the root of our sin. And one of the issues that he lays out, the heart of it, is this right here. Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and they worshipped and served the creature rather, excuse me, rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. What's the problem right there? What happened? Instead of giving glory to God, instead of honoring Him and being thankful for all that He is and all that He does, instead we selfishly proclaimed ourselves as the first and best of all beings and we worshipped and served what He gave us to enjoy and we traded. Instead of worshipping and serving the glory of God, the immortal God, we worshipped and served the mortal things. And so we made this terrible exchange. Look what it says in verse 25 again. Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And if you were to back up a few verses, you would see that this dark exchange that was made was the fact that we knew and saw the glory of the immortal God, and yet we would rather have the things uh, that He has created for us to enjoy. And so we made this terrible exchange and said, even though we know that all of this is just a reflection of who He is, we said we love these things more. We love these bodies more. We love our children more. We love this creation more. We love our cars more. We love our houses more. We love, we lo we love our jobs more. We say we don't, but guess what? You give your life to it. We love, we love our jobs more than we love the glory of God, than we love God Himself. And so it's a terrible exchange, a very dark exchange. But make no mistake about it. The chief end of man is twofold. Number one, it is to glorify God. And the way that we glorify God is like... Uh, now, uh, hey, I remember what I told you to do last week. Somebody explained to me the difference between a microscope and a telescope. What does one do versus what the other one does? Microscope. Okay. So a microscope, you can put something microscopic, very small underneath it, and it'll make it bigger, right? Does it, is that what the telescope does? What does the telescope do? But does it make it as big as it actually is? Does it even make it bigger? No. All it does is makes it a little bit more reality. So in other words, that telescope brings the moon in close enough, it still don't make it as big as it is. It still don't give us the reality of it. But that telescope will bring the moon in just far enough that we can look at it and go, wow. Well, here's the way that you glorify God. 
you don't glorify God like a microscope. You don't take something, God, that is small and make Him bigger. You glorify God like a telescope does the moon. You are the telescope. When people look at you, you don't make God bigger. You don't make God brighter. The only thing you do is make God more real. So when people look at your life, it just brings God a little bit closer so that they can look at you and go, so that's what God is like. So that's what God loves like. So that's the way God forgives. So that's the way God is compassionate. So that's the way God is kind and gentle. And so that's how long-suffering God is. And that is the way that you are to live your life, to glorify God. Not that you make God bigger, not that you make God more glorious. No, but you bring it in just a little bit closer so that when they look at you, they see it a little bit better than they could without you. Does that make sense? You're not making Him more glorious. You're not making Him bigger than He is. You're not bringing Him up so that He is greater than He actually is. No, the only thing you do is just making it a little bit more real that people can actually see. So that's what God is like. And so the chief end of man, your job is to glorify God the way the telescope glorifies the moon and to enjoy Him forever. I told you last week that many people think that um, heaven's just going to be full of choir seats and pews and that heaven's just going to be us. We'll go from the choir to the pew, from choir to the pew. We'll sing a little while and then we'll listen to Jesus preach for a little while. We'll sing a little while, listen to Jesus preach for a little while and that's what we do for eternity. Wrong. You enjoy the glory of God for eternity. And if this creation is just a glimpse, I'm talking about a glimpse and a cursed glimpse at that, if this creation is just a glimpse of the glory of God, what do you think it's going to be like to be in the fullness? You can't imagine. That's the reason why the Apostle Paul said, I hath not seen, ear hath not heard. It has never entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared. The things that God has prepared for those who love Him. That's just a little glimpse of what heaven is going to be like. I love to use this example. Y'all have heard me use it a lot, but man, I hope one day you actually get it because I still don't think you've got it. But listen to this example. You take the moment in your life that you thought you could explode with joy. I, I was listening, I've been listening to some country music here lately. I like every now and then to get me an old country. I ain't talking about this new country. I'm talking about the, the good country, the old stuff. <clears throat> but I was listening to some of this old country here a little while back and there was a song that come on and it was something to, to the effect of if, um, if, if, if something about heaven, and he was saying something to the effect that um, this is not where, uh, if, if it's better, there's no way that it could be better than what I'm living in right now, is what the song was saying. And I'm way off on that, but that is what he was saying. He was saying, I don't really care about going because there's no way it could be better. People talk about heaven everywhere, but there's no way it could be better than what I'm living in right now. And we have those moments. They're few and far between, right? But we have those moments in our life to where we are just so on cloud nine and everything is perfection in the world. 
And I want you to just think about that moment in your life to where you thought, man, this is heaven. <laughs> this is what I could live in this moment forever. And yet it's still in a cursed world. And what you need to understand is if you were to take that moment and you were to multiply that moment and that feeling and that emotion by a thousand, by a hundred thousand, by a million, if you were to multiply it by that and you could experience it to that extent, you still only have a glimpse of what it's actually going to be like. Because all of these things here are just images. They're just glimpses. They're just pictures. You know, Frances can come in here with her, with her grandbabies and show us pictures all day long. Y'all look at my grandbaby. Y'all look at my grandbaby. But let me tell you something. That picture can never show you what she feels. Because all it is is a picture. You can never experience, you can't even come close to what it feels like to be Frances as she shows you these pictures of these grandbabies. You can't even experience it. And the reason you can't is because it's just a picture. Does it give you a glimpse and can you at least rejoice with her? Yeah, you can. But you can't really experience what she's feeling. You can't really get there because it's just a picture. You can't even get close. And so what we need to understand is all of this goodness that we experience down here, even though it is the glory of God, it's only a picture. It's only a glimpse. And you can't even get close. Eye hath not seen, ear hath not heard, it has never even entered into the imagination of man, is what the translation actually says. It's never e you've never even imagined the things that God has prepared for those who love Him. And that is what we get to enjoy forever. We glorify God and we enjoy Him forever. We enjoy Him now in the glimpses of His glory and we enjoy Him forever in the fullness of His glory. Yes, sir. I really feel it, and I'll say, Bobby, I don't think we ever get in the spiritual realm of glorifying God and worshiping God, and I think we've got to do that to actually recognize and feel the power of I agree with that. And, uh, and, and you know, so often we... I was talking to a gentleman this morning from another denomination. He said, every now and then, said, we've got where we mentioned the Holy Spirit. <laughs> we've been there. <laughs> Glory to God. Amen. Because I said, if you've not got that, you will never enter the kingdom of God. That's right. Yeah. If you don't have the Spirit of God, you don't belong to God. Yeah. All right. So um, everybody understand what it means, what God's glory is. All right. Everybody understand what it means to glorify God? And does everybody understand that it's not just to glorify Him, but it is also to enjoy Him forever? To enjoy Him now and forever. And that is the chief end of man. That is why you're here. It's important you understand that. You're not here for your job. Is your job play a part in bringing glory to God? Absolutely. It's where He placed you. It's where you can bring Him glory. It, yes, all of these things play a role in it, but you are not here for your job, for your kids. Do you play a role in the glory of God as a parent? Absolutely. But you are not here for your kids, for your job, for your spouse, for your hobby. 
That is not your purpose. Your purpose is that you are here to glorify God like a telescope does a moon. And you live your life in such a way that when people look at you, they see the image of the glory of God. And you enjoy Him. Not worship and serve His creation and ignore Him. But you glorify Him, you worship Him, you praise Him, and you still enjoy His creation and who He is and what He's given you. And when you have it in the right order, you're where you're supposed to be. Third question. How do we know there is a God? This all sounds great, don't it? Man, it sounds awesome. I mean, listen, I've heard preachers just can present this to the point that, man, it puts me on cloud nine and I'm so excited about it, but the, let's just face the truth of it. How do I know that there really is a God? Wake up in the morning and try to, try to breathe on you. Right? What? What would you say? Look around, you. Look around you. What do you mean by that? Look, He's everywhere. Where do you think those trees come from? Where do you think the water come from? The, the grass, the dirt, you know, the good, the bad, the ugly, whatever. Alright, let's see if you're right. The answer. The light of nature in man and the works of God plainly declares that there is a God. So let's address that part first. What does he mean by the light of nature in man? Go down to uh, the Scripture. Go down to the first Scripture, Romans chapter 1, verse 18 through 20. I told you I felt like we'd land in Romans 1 tonight. Romans 1 beginning in verse 18, and let's read that. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. You remember what that truth is that we're suppressing? We're suppressing the fact that God is glorious and that creation is nothing more than an image of who He is. And instead, we hold down the truth of who God is and how glorious He is and we magnify the greatness of the creation. And the wrath of God is revealed. What does it mean when something is revealed? You can see it, right? You can look around this world and you can see the wrath of God. It's all around. And I could go into explaining how you could see it. I'm not going to go there right now. But the point is, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. And here's what that looks like who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. And here's what he means by suppressing. What does it mean to suppress something? Hold it down, right? In other words, it's evident, but instead of magnifying that, we go, we don't want you to see it. And so how do we do that? Verse 19. For what can be known about God is what? What does something mean when it says it's plain? It's out there. No doubt. That's, that's right. I mean, you can't deny it, right? It's plain. For what can be known about God is plain. And let's see why. Because God has shown it to them. How? 
Verse 20, For His invisible attributes, namely, His eternal power, His divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so that they are without excuse. What does that mean? Somebody tell me what it means. You know, we use this analogy all the time. Uh, way of the Master is where I learned it from, but it's a very good analogy. Is there any way that I could convince you tonight that no one built this building? No one. I, if I were to do, use all of my wisdom and knowledge to come in here tonight to tell you that this building just came up on its own, no one put paint on these walls. No one put two-by-fours up. No one put these square tiles up. No one wired these lights. No one hung these chandeliers. It all just happened all on its own. Is there any way that your common sense would go, yeah, that makes perfect sense. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm all in. Yeah, I, I believe you. Well, you got some people that are... But honestly, common sense tells you there's no way that I could convince you that there is no builder for this building. If this building, with all of its design, with all the way that it is put together, if this building exists, there is a builder. I may not know who he is. I may not know his name. I may not know much about him. But I know at least this much. He's a pretty smart guy. He's pretty talented. And now take that and apply it to creation. Let's just use just your body alone and the way that it works. The mind, the heart, the blood, the eyes, the ears, the nose, the, the tongue, the taste buds. Let's just apply it to just your body. Not even the rest of creation. Just your body. What do you know about God? Pretty smart guy, ain't he? And then add this on top of it. The carbon dioxide that you breathe out is what the trees and the plants need in order to survive. And guess what the trees and plants are doing? And then you just look at the circle of life, the way the rain does, and the way. Just, just look at creation. Just take one look at it. And you tell me is there any way your common sense could agree and say, yeah, there's no God, there is no creator? No, it is impossible because it is plain to them. This is what is meant when this writer says, the light of nature in man. That's how we know there is a God. So go down to the comment and see how he explains it. The question distinguishes two kinds of knowledge. One is natural and comes from the conscience, the light of nature in man and from the works of God in nature. So again, that's what he means by that. How do I know there's a God? Because of the light of the nature of man and because of the works of God. In other words, I cannot look at creation and my common sense will not allow me to truly believe that there is no creator. It's not possible. But, let me tell you, because our heart is so anti-God and because we don't want God, we don't want to glorify Him, we suppress the truth in unrighteousness, 
We exchange the glory of the immortal for the glory of the mortal. Because that's the way our hearts are and because that's the way we're born, that's who we are. And instead of acknowledging that there is a Creator, there are people out there that will actually say, even though their common sense knows better, but they will fight you all day long and say, I don't believe in God. Yes, sir. The only known uh, atheist I ever met, I saw a sign at a bull that went up there and, and uh, he had moved out. <coughs> and he got talking about the Bible Belt and all these Christians and so forth. And he told me, he said, I don't believe there's a God that even exists. The boy was just, ooh, cold chills went over the top. I had never heard an individual just come out like that. And then his little, I'd say, five-year-old granddaughter came and he pulled her up in front of him. And he said, uh, we like to lost her two weeks ago since Vanderbilt pulled her out and said, uh, she's alive today. And I can't remember the situation. I said, and you just told me there wasn't a God. <laughs> right, right. I said, you're holding God, my man. That's right. And I said, I, I, I said, I know I'm on your turf, but your turf belongs to God. That's right. And my mouth belongs to God, and I'm telling you, you're holding God. Yeah, you're holding a picture of him. Yeah. I said, I'm not interested in you, bull, but I said, uh, you go to sleep with what I've just said tonight. Right. And I left. Amen. And I believe God dropped me right in there for that purpose. Well, you just gave a prime example of, again, what it means for us to glorify God. It's not that you could make God as big as He is to this man. But what you can do is live your life in such a way and talk to Him in such a way and minister to Him in such a way that you can at least bring God in far enough that He can look at it and go, that's what God looks like. Tangible was His God at that given moment. That's right. He was glorifying the creature rather than the Creator. Yeah. And a while ago, when you, you said, we so often share in God's glory, I thought about faith. You know, last Sunday, there was a lot of people probably thought she had cancer. Right. Amen. I'm not speaking life in a nut. I said, God, you, you can take it, you can remove it, and it can be a... A fever blister on on her on her liver. Yeah. If you so desire. Yes. But tonight we were able to say by diagnose, diagnostic aspects of stuff that we can't see ourselves. Mm -hmm. It says God's glory has shone through, and we've been a part of that. Right. Somebody that has prayed for her has been a little part of that glory. Amen. That's right. That's right. Amen. So again, how do we know there is a God? Well, the light of nature in man and the works of God plainly declare, plainly declare that there is a God. So that answer is very important. You understand what it's saying here. But then that's only the first part. The first part is a natural knowledge. But let me ask you a question. Can men be saved by the natural knowledge that there is a God? Hey, I don't care. Even the demons have a natural knowledge that there's a God, right? But that's not enough. How do we know there is a God? Well, it goes into the next part. Look what it says after that. But His Word and Spirit only do effectually reveal Him unto us 
for salvation. His Word and His Spirit only do effectually reveal Him unto us for salvation. So nature can tell us a lot about God, can't it? I mean, we can look at nature and we can say, God is beautiful. God is magnificent. God is awesome. God is powerful. We can, we can tell a lot about God from nature because God makes it plain to us about His eternal power, His divine nature. But the only thing that can reveal our need for salvation and the only thing that can reveal His salvation unto us is His Word and His Spirit alone. You cannot come to God unless the Spirit draws. And the Spirit uses His sword to cut your sin out. And His sword is what? The Word of God. And so it is only by the Word of God and by His Spirit that He effectually reveals Himself unto us for our salvation. Let's read the comment again down here. The question distinguishes two kinds of knowledge. One is natural and comes from the conscience, the light of nature in man, and from the works of God in nature. The other is spiritual and saving and comes from the recognition of the true value of God and the beauty of His character. Natural knowledge is possessed by all people. Remember, the last part of Romans chapter 1 verse 20, I believe it was, said, so that they are without excuse. Will there be anyone that will ever be able to say, I didn't know? No. No one will stand before... The, the tribes in Africa that have never had any gospel preached at all will not be able to stand before God and say, we didn't know who you were. They have a natural knowledge about Him. Now, the only way that they will be saved is by the Word and a spiritual knowledge. But everyone is without excuse to glorify Him, to honor Him, to give thanks, because by nature we see who He is. We know who He is. Alright? So let's keep reading this. Spiritual knowledge... I'm sorry, let's start with natural knowledge. Natural knowledge is possessed by all people and thus makes all people accountable to honor and thank God. Spiritual knowledge is possessed only by those whose natural blindness has been overcome by the Spirit of God. Now remember... Your spiritual blindness cannot be overcome by anything in nature. You are born with a rebellious heart. You are born with a nature that suppresses the truth about who God is. You are born with a nature that loves the creation and rejects the Creator. That's who you are. And the only thing that can open your eyes to that is the Spirit of God. It's a spiritual knowledge. Let's see if I'm correct in that. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Y'all go with me to that. And there are many scriptures. I'm not going to read them all for sake of time, but you have the paper now. Go home and read the scriptures yourself and see if it lines up. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Let's read verse 14 through 16. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. 
The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct Him? But we have the mind of Christ. The point being, the only way that we understand who we are and who God is is because the Holy Spirit has opened our eyes to be able to see it. To understand that a little bit better, go to 2 Corinthians... Chapter 4, beginning in verse 4. Second Corinthians 4, verse 4. In their case, the God of this world, that's a little God, little g, who is the God of this world? Whatever you make it. Whatever you make it, but more specifically, Satan. Satan. God cast him down to this thing. He has given him freedom. He has allowed him to, to have his way for a time on this earth. So look what it says again. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So Satan has all unbelievers blinded. They can't see the glory of God. They, they, even though nature reveals Him, they refuse it. They rebel against it. But keep reading with me. Verse 5. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The only reason why you have a spiritual saving knowledge today is not because nature told you who God was, even though nature did tell you what you needed to know about God. But the reason you have a salvation today and a right relationship with your Creator is because the Holy Spirit has said, let light shine in the darkness. Now you think about, He's taking you back to creation. In creation, before there was light, what was there? But could the darkness do anything to light itself? Its only hope was that God did what? And when God said, let there be light, what happened? Here's the point that Paul was trying to make. The only reason why you have saving grace and saving knowledge today is because the Holy Spirit said... Let there be light. And your blinded eyes were opened and you were able to see God for who He is. And you were able to see yourself for who you were. And now God has put you on a path to understand that I, my reason for being is to glorify Him and enjoy Him forever. And the way that I do that is through Jesus Christ by following Jesus Christ. That's how I do it because Jesus is the image of God. And as I mock Him, or not mock Him, as I imitate Him, as I live my life the way that Jesus lived, and He is my example, I learn how to glorify God. I learn how to let the world look at me and see who God is because I follow Jesus. That's the reason why you come in here week after week and we teach you the ways of Jesus. 
This is what Jesus is like. This is what Jesus would do. This is who Jesus is. And you learn and you learn and you learn about Jesus because it's meant for you to go out of here and live like Jesus. You know many church members don't get that. Many church members don't get that. We don't just come in here and learn about Jesus just so we can know a little bit more about Jesus. We come in here and learn about Him so that we can walk out of here and live like Him by the power of the Spirit. We live like Him. We walk like Him. We talk like Him so that when the world looks at us, they see God. Not because of who we are. Because if we were living like us, would anybody see God? But when we're living like Jesus, people see God. People see God. Well, let's shoot him. <laughs> but before the Spirit came, yeah. man, and you mentioned a while ago, if you was in Africa, never heard the word. Yep. The, 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 early, the early beginners, this was all they had. They had only the natural man that was not what they had before the Spirit came upon them. Mm-hmm. And, and Satan took those and put them in Hades. And, and after God was crucified, he went down and released those people because he, wanted, he, he would not let those souls be taken by only a, from the natural man's state. And he gave them the Spirit to unite it to make them whole. Mm-hmm. Correct. That, that is one interpretation of it. We talked about this in a small group just a few nights ago, that there are two interpretations of that. Uh, one is that, yes, there was a place of Hades, and Jesus did indeed go and preach to them and deliver them. That, that, is, that is an interpretation. Uh, I don't necessarily fall under that interpretation, but I'm not going to flat out deny it. And the reason I don't fall in under that is because I believe that the Bible teaches us that people have always been saved by faith. Noah was saved by faith. Enoch was saved by faith. Um, 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 Abel was saved by faith. Um, you go to read Hebrews chapter 11, and it'll tell you, by faith, these people did this. By faith, they did this. And so I believe that they had the same presence of the Lord in their life when they died, just like we did. Um, but that is an interpretation, and I'm not saying it's not correct. Um, I don't, I don't know, and I won't know till I get stand before him and see. I'm, I'm definitely not here to argue the fact. Right. But those people were the elite. They were the Billy Graham that stood out. Right. The witnesses that were before us, Hebrews 11 says. They just uh, had a tree to look at and, 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 mm-hmm. and to didn't walk as much by faith. Right. Yeah. Well, and that's the reason why the Hebrews in particular tells us to follow their example, to imitate them. Uh, and we're imitating Christ, but they were walking in faith and they were taking... Because here's the thing about it. Even though, even though they could not be saved just by the natural knowledge they had of God, God revealed Himself to them through His Spirit. Even though it was not an indwelling Spirit like we have today, God did reveal Himself to them. For instance, the Bible says that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. So there was a revelation that God gave Noah about who he was. And that's what this is saying, is that there is a spiritual knowledge that can... And that is the only knowledge about God that can save us. 
There's a natural knowledge that everyone is accountable to and everyone knows that there is a Creator. But it requires that spiritual knowledge to save us. And unless God reveals it to us, and the way His Holy Spirit does is like Paul said in 2 Corinthians there, let there be light. And there was light. Until God opens our blinded eyes to our rebellion, until God opens our blinded eyes to our sin, we are trapped by the God of this world to live in our sin. And unless God says, let there be light, there will be no light. But we've got to be receptive to that light. That we, do, we, are, we have a responsibility to it. If we reject it, it's, it's, it's well, we're quenching the Spirit. That's right. That's right. Romans 10 tells us how will they believe without a preacher? Unless somebody, in other words, unless there is a spiritual knowledge that's revealed to them, how will they have the chance to be responsible for that knowledge? Um, so yes, that, that's the reason why we have a role in our responsibility of sharing the gospel and preaching. You know, we, you have lost family members, you have lost friends, you have lost co-workers, and you have a responsibility to live your life in such a way and also preach the gospel to them so that... Lord willing, the Holy Spirit can say, let there be light, and there be light. So yes, we, we have a responsibility in it. But the, the, to answer the question, how do we know there is a God? Let's read the answer again. The light of nature in man and the works of God plainly declares that there is a God. But His Word and His Spirit only do effectually reveal Him unto us for salvation. Now let's go back down to the comment and read the last part of it. Spiritual knowledge is possessed only by those whose natural blindness has been overcome by the Spirit of God. And we read just two scriptures to show you that. I can give you many more if you want them. But look at this next part. Our children, and not just our children, I would say all of us, but our children must come to see the difference between these, the natural knowledge and the spiritual knowledge, lest they think they are saved by much natural knowledge about God, which the devils also have. Let me tell you something. I'm raising up my son to be a Christian. But until the Holy Spirit opens his eyes to the fact that he is a sinner in need of the saving grace of Jesus Christ, the natural knowledge that I give him about God will do him no good as far as other than just being the Word of God witnessing to him and giving him the opportunity to see it. You understand what I'm saying? We cannot depend on the natural knowledge of this world which plainly declares who God is to save anyone. It is only through the Word of God and the Holy Spirit that anyone's eyes will be opened to be able to see their sin condition and their need for salvation through Jesus Christ. There is no other way. And all of us must come to know the difference between how we know there's a God. It's not just about the nature that we see, but instead it is also about the Holy Spirit and the Word of God that reveals even more truth about who God is and who I am. And when I see that, that's when saving grace can come and God can say, let there be light. So I need to be able to see the difference in both of them. I don't want to complicate this, but it's important to answer the question. How do you know there's a God? 
How do you know? Well, we have a natural knowledge and we have a spiritual knowledge. That's how I know there's a God, through both of them. And you know, you want to go, you mentioned carbon monoxide taken in, oxygen given out. Yeah. And, and how the balance of nature keeps everything in order. Water is so important. That's right. Every, it's life. Yeah. And, and, I, and, 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 and I can prove it on the scales, Chester, how God is in control. We wean calves the eighth of eight eight. Mm-hmm. They weigh seven the the steer the bulls weigh seven hundred and two pounds, the heifers six uh fifty three. We weighed yesterday. The rain stopped. The grass went down. Same cattle, same sires, just a different difference and when they got through. Yeah. It was twenty two pounds difference in the weight of the bulls, twenty three pounds difference in the weight of the cows. Because they didn't have water. God stopped the rain. Yeah. And yeah. in essence it stopped the grass. In essence it, it had an impact on the very life of those people. Yeah. Those cattle that was great. And so you you gave an example of how all of nature all of it all of it declares that God is real. That there is a God. All, I don't care if it's cows. I don't care if it's rabbits. I don't care if it's mice. I don't care if it's beetles or ladybugs. I, I don't care what it is. Mosquitoes. God forbid. It affects us personally. Yeah. We think it doesn't affect anything else. Right. But this everything that we touch and see is God's creation. Amen. It is affected by the will and the power of God's Given us those necessities. That's right. That's right. So we have a natural knowledge, but what is required is more than natural. We need a spiritual knowledge of who God is. And when we have both of them, we can know God. We can know who He is. We can actually have a real relationship with Him. We pray for cancer and it can be thrown out. That's right. That's right. All right, we're going to stop right there. Next week, here's what I want you to do. I want you to come back and I want you to answer this question. What is the Word of God? And can I trust the Bible? Is the Bible trustworthy? I had a friend of mine who was supposedly a Christian, even though he believed there were many ways to, to the Father. But he supposedly was a Christian. And he would tell me the reason why he don't trust the Bible is because it has been passed down through too many hands, too many interpretations, too many years. And so I want to answer the question next week. Can I trust the Bible? And should we trust it? And I want to genuinely answer it. I don't want to just answer it because we're the church and we're supposed to be teaching this. I welcome any of your claims. Come in here and you tell me if there is something that you found that legitimately might say, we can't trust the Bible because of this. I welcome it. I, I, I want it. 